The Triathlon Show 274. Up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview scientific triathlon coach Lachlan Kieran. In this episode, Lachlan and I are going to discuss how to plan and execute your training so that uh, you reach an appropriate balance between training load and uh, recovery slash fatigue. But before that, big thanks as usual to our sponsors, Roka, that you can find on roka.com. Roka are the leading manufacturers of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses. And in that, those latter categories, the prescription glasses and prescription sunglasses, they have some really cool features. Some of them are also applicable to the non-prescription sunglasses that, uh, that you can get as well. But all of their frames, for example, are ultra lightweight, so you won't feel that you wear them. Uh, they are adjustable, so you can adjust the frame to perfectly suit your face shape. They also never slip off your face, thanks to the Geeko anti-slip technology. They have uh, features on their website like virtual try-on options and an online vision test so that you can update your prescription in as little as 15 minutes. You can have home try-on options to get four pairs of prescription glasses that you can try at home for seven days. And you can even add blue light blocking coding to any pair of glasses. The prescription glasses are only available in the US, but uh, the non-prescription glasses are available throughout all of Roka's online stores and online presence. You can get 20% off your order of Roka products with the promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. And thank you to Zen8. The Zen8 swim trainer will help time-crunched athletes be more consistent in their swim training. This applies both when pools might be closed, like they are now in many places around the world, but also just in normal times when you are just very busy with family, work, uh, run and bike training. Trying to fit it all in can be quite difficult. And uh, if you only have time to go to the pool once or twice per week or three times per week, then getting in an extra short home-based session, even if it's just 10, 15, 20 minutes on the Zen8 Zoom Trainer, can really increase that consistency and frequency in stimulus that will help you swim better in your races. You can improve your technique, power, and stamina and get help activating your core because of the instability element of the inflatable swim bench that really forces you to use that core. And the height of the bench is also perfectly designed to get you into a high elbow catch position. You can get 20% off your order of the Zen8 Swim Trainer on zen8swimtrainer.com forward slash TTS and that will take the price to more or less the same as a pair of running shoes. Without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Lachlan Kirin. So I'm here with uh, Coach Lachlan Kirin from Scientific Triathlon. Welcome back to the Triathlon Show, Lachie. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks. It's nice to be back. Yeah, it's uh, good to have you. For those listeners that may be newer to the show and haven't heard your previous appearance or appearances can you just give a, a pretty brief intro to yourself who you are and uh, what you do yep i'm uh well i'm a full-time triathlon coach based out of the, the sunshine coast in queensland but working with uh, scientific triathlon now for oh, not too far off two years now so it's been been quite the journey over the last couple of years um and yeah it's uh very lucky to have athletes kind of 
you know, across North America, Asia, Europe, uh, and Australia. So uh, that's pretty much what I do and, and a little bit of racing here and there as well. Yeah, yeah, and you're lucky enough to be able to do that uh, down in Australia. So I yeah. hope that continues for you and that the rest of us can soon join you. So today's topic for uh, for the podcast is recovery. And, uh, and I was thinking that we will discuss recovery in terms of not the things that we have discussed on the podcast in some episodes and some interviews that I've done with things like sleep, etc., but actually just a training component of it, how to balance training so that you ensure enough recovery. But but that being said, let's maybe start with uh, a brief intro or overview of all the factors affecting recovery, so including training load, but also sleep, stress, nutrition, and so on, uh, can you do a quick rundown of which factors you would consider important here and, and how they affect recovery? Yeah, I mean, I think sleep is definitely, you know, I mean, as I've said on the podcast and many others have as well, um, you know, a paramount factor when it comes to recovery. But in terms of how we're, um, you know, developing our recovery into the program, it's it's very important to look at overall load, you know, in terms of volume, um, intensity, across the mesocycle and the macrocycle as well, um, you know, and also understanding that recovery doesn't always necessarily mean complete rest, but it can be also some easy exercise as well. Um, in saying that, important in recovery as well as understanding all the factors outside of sport that um, contribute, whether they be work, family, other life stress, um, and also nutrition. So a lot, a lot to kind of dive into today. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what do you think of uh, recovery modalities? So uh, things that, well, we've all heard about them, ice baths and uh, Normatech boots and uh, and things like that. Is that something that you use or recommend? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think you often hear the term, um, you know, the one percenters when it, when it kind of pertains to those things. Um, you know, in saying that, I, I often hear this kind of uh, thought process that, you kind of have to earn those, you know, you have to have the sleep patterns, right. You have to have the nutrition, right. And then you worry about those things. Um, but look for mine, if, if they are things that you are already doing and, and you find benefit with them, that doesn't mean stop doing them. If you don't have the sleep already down pat, if you don't have the nutrition already down pat, um, you know, there's huge benefit and, and it doesn't always have to, you know, be backed by, uh, by the science in terms of physiological response um, to recovery. I think placebo is also very important and even something like a Normatec boot or a massage, just simply laying down for 30 minutes an hour and, and having that time to, to switch off mentally can be in and of itself hugely important. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. That's a, a very good pragmatic uh, viewpoint of, of it. So, so if we sort of three big ones that you mentioned there, other than training, were sleep and then external stressors and nutrition, let's hear for the purpose of the following discussion, assume that they are handled adequately, not necessarily perfectly, but, but they're at an okay, stable level. Uh, how should one start to think about planning their training to allow for sufficient recovery and make sure that the training load is is balanced maybe we start at uh, like a bigger macro or meso level with with this with this question 
Yeah, I think, you know, on a macro level, um, when it comes to, to, to most age group triathletes, I'm certainly a proponent of consistency, you know, over not just months, but, but years. Um, but in saying that, I do think it is very important after, especially a long build and then race or, or races that you have at the end of that long build where you are really trying to hit your peak for the year um, to take some downtime you know, it, for both physical and, and mental reasons. And I think that you see so often in athletes that, that not taking that downtime is what leads to, to injury or you know, even just uh, illness, but, but also just lack of motivation down the line. Yeah, no, absolutely, and uh, and I think that it's especially dangerous when when you have had a really good build and a really good race. Athletes can be really motivated to not lose that fitness and keep keep sort of improving if they're on an up- upward trajectory. It can be very very difficult to let go of that. But but as you say, in the long term, uh, at a yearly or multi year level then it is going to be beneficial to to give the body rest and to give the uh, the mind and the the mental aspect of it some some rest as well to get back even more motivated uh, yeah and, and what about if you think about sorry go on oh i was just going to say and and you know another point to make there in that kind of you know, the macro cycle is that especially where the race doesn't go to plan for whatever reason um you know, I think accepting that and moving on is important and still taking the recovery instead of trying to ch- continually chase a result um, that you expected, uh, that that can also be quite dangerous. Yeah, because it, it is quite possible as well in many cases that the reason that the race didn't go to plan might actually be not not having been quite fresh enough yeah you exactly. see that happen quite often so so sometimes that can be the solution can can also be to get more rest not to just to even more training yeah which exactly. uh a lot of athletes especially uh at the kind of you see that with pros a lot i think that especially the pros that are, that are maybe self-coached not working with with a coach to 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 help them and get a, an objective view that they just want to push on really really hard and train train a lot after a race doesn't go to plan and, and solve the the problems with more training yeah i i think there's probably you know also the the factor there of having to make a living for for some pros so i mean you do have to factor that in factor that in for them but um yeah agreed that potentially it can have some long-term effects that that aren't so great yeah uh what, what about if we move down so so this is so yeah after you have sort of peaked for a race which might happen once or twice per year you you take a bit of downtime what about if we move down to sort of a monthly or bi-monthly level we have talked about this before but things like three weeks on one week off is something that is a quite commonly talked about pattern of training uh, but there are other ways of of introducing recovery and balancing training load at a meso level. What, what do you think about this aspect? Yeah, look, I'm. I mean, it's certainly different from a coaching perspective. Anyway, um, depending on you know, if I actually have hands on with an athlete that I'm working with, then I don't necessarily work to any kind of three weeks on, one week off, or anything like that. Um, as I kind of mentioned before, 
I'm definitely about creating a program that kind of facilitates consistency um, and, and really working with the athlete to take recovery where it's needed. Um, obviously, though, not every athlete is in that position with the coach. So we can kind of move back to these three-a-week, one-week um, kind of systems that work potentially more on a, on a population basis. And, yes, it might not be optimal for, for every person that um, is, say, getting a plan, but it, what it does do is it, it does enforce some rest in there. And I think that in of itself is quite a good thing. Um, what's really important to remember, though, with, with a model like three weeks kind of build and then a one-week down week, you might call it, or a recovery week, is that, you know, just because we're taking some of the training stress away doesn't mean that you go and load up on all kinds of other life stresses because then we're kind of defeating the purpose. And I think that's that's what I've seen a lot with athletes that do follow that plan is like they go three weeks and by the end of the third week they've, they've put themselves in a real kind of training hole, very tired, and, you know, they think, A, that that recovery week is going to provide some super compensation that usually it doesn't necessarily do. And B, they then go and, and do a whole bunch of other things where it might be landscaping the house or, you know, taking on 20 hours of extra work for the week or, or whatever it might be. So, you know, we're still getting lots of, you know, other stresses. Yeah, agreed. And, and I think this is something that we've also discussed before, but the risk of a three week on, one week off sort of pattern is also that Netflix might just load up those three weeks with, with too much and uh, get give themselves too much of an overreach reaching period in those three weeks with the knowledge that okay i'm just gonna power through this for three weeks more two weeks more one week more and then i get to to recover from it and yeah that, correct that is not necessarily optimal for training adaptations it might be better to to spread it out a bit more more evenly there but but that being said i do yeah i mean inevitably especially you know if you are in the mold of say a five-day work week monday to friday then a lot of that volume has to come early mornings late nights or, or on weekends so the the acute load of single sessions is going up a lot you're not really necessarily able to just you know increase the frequency of sessions in a day because there's not really any room to do so yeah absolutely and and i think that one way that you can increase more uh, you, you can in introduce more recovery on let's say a monthly level but without having a full sort of recovery week if we want to call it that is one thing i do with a lot of athletes is that every month or so i make sure that they have a, a full rest day so whereas every single week they might have an easier monday and an easier friday but once per month that easy monday might be a yeah. full rest day and this depends on the athlete of course some athletes might have a full rest day every every week if they're more uh, of a beginner athlete but but for some advanced athletes to still have that full rest day once per month can be if nothing else uh, mentally it, it can be quite refreshing yeah and you know uh, even when you get to kind of the other end of the expect spectrum at the very advanced athlete or you know say say pro level athlete I mean, very rarely have I seen a, a pro-level athlete that strictly takes a day off a week, you know, think, see that it doesn't work. Um, for the most part, it seems to work really well. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm yet to see an athlete that has taken a rest day every week and has said, no, that I just it doesn't work for me. Yeah. 
So, so let's move down to the weekly level uh, or microcycle level. Uh, so, so I mentioned there already uh, a f- kind of a favorite rhythm of mine, which is that Mondays and Fridays tend to be yeah. easier, and then you could then then you can you can work a bit different. Like there are different options to work with uh, the other days, but one typical pattern that I might use is to have a hard Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday, and and Wednesday and Sunday might be longer days but not necessarily intense so um so that's kind of a building in some balance there on both the volume side and the intensity side uh is that how do you work with weekly rhythms and the like yeah i tend to to also like that kind of one three one two model um that you mentioned there um but definitely not something that i strictly adhere to um, with with the Mondays especially, um, I, I do really often like to have athletes, or at least in the week, have have one day kind of off the legs. Um, you know, important there though is if say I have an athlete that is going to a swim squad on that day, um, very often that becomes a really hard session as well. Um, so if if I'm programming and it was just a swim only day, it, it might be something you know just fairly aerobic. Um, and, and optimally in the morning, so we're kind of getting 24 full, full hours until the next session. Um, and I, you know, I know with a lot of athletes sometimes, and if that day is a rest day as well, they can get a little bit antsy, but usually come the Tuesday, it pays off pretty well. Um, you know, the other thing in that, in that micro cycle is I see a lot of athletes and, and myself included, you know, when, when I've been coaching myself and, and things like that, is we, we fall into this mindset of always needing to do a long ride and a long run on the weekend and I don't think that that always has to be the case especially for 52 weeks a year Um, you you can mix that around you don't even have to have a long ride and a long run every week of the year or every training week of the year if if you're having some weeks off as well and you can split those up I mean I'm all for a long run on a Wednesday and and double bike on the weekend or just changing things around I think can be a potent stimulus in itself yeah and and i think that with some athletes uh, that are limited by how long their long ride especially can be for example you might actually be better off uh to maybe as you say skip don't do it every week but rather see if the athlete can can increase the duration of that because if they are kind of at the lower end of what it's what they're able to do in terms of time every single week let's say they can only do two hours but they're at a level where that's not really enough of a stimulus for them to get the most out of that long ride. Maybe see if you can not do it every week, but do it every other week, but get it to three hours instead. And then that might be more, more effective. So, so yeah, I, I do agree that you don't have to, and that's another trap with the weekly schedule. The, the weekly rhythm is great because it's practical. That's how we work. But at the same time, it is arbitrary. The body doesn't know a difference between a, monday and a wednesday and a saturday so 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 we don't necessarily have to think that okay we need to fit these particular things in every single week you can split it up and have things that you repeat on a 10-day cycle or a 14-day cycle or whatever it is Uh, i i don't think i've never had like actually managed to get a 10-day or a 12-day cycle to work as this is something we repeat but i think that the mindset of you don't have to do every single thing every week but you can well work this one in next week instead just skip it this week that that mindset helps a lot 
Yes, yep. Yeah, agreed. And I think you also, it's important in that, in, especially in that micro cycle, to be able to be adaptive um, with your training and, and really back yourself to, to go easy if, if you feel that it's needed. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> and uh, let's, let's discuss a little bit more around the complete rest day, a potential weekly rest day. For, for whom do you think that it might make, make sense to, to do take a full complete rest day? Look, I mean, I wouldn't be totally adverse to saying nearly everyone, if I'm honest. Um, in saying that, though, I suppose there is kind of a level of volume where if you're only able to, to kind of fit in, you know, four, four, five, six hours a week, then taking a full rest day can, can be a large chunk of that, right? So potentially in those situations, it might not be something that we're programming in every week. Um, and look, I, I mean, the majority of my athletes wouldn't take a rest day every week. So, so I'm not saying that it's something that I prescribe for everyone, but, um, you know, I certainly do believe in, in trying to have one day off the legs or, you know, a very light kind of aerobic recovery day that, that really very, very low heart rate. Uh, very low intensity and and I always use the cue for athletes um you know on those days that that are truly easy days you know for the session I, I want you getting out of the pool or getting off the bike feeling better than when you started um the other thing is as as triathletes um I would pretty much or not pretty much I would never prescribe a recovery run um I think we have the modality of swimming and, and riding without the impact so if it's a choice for me, we'll always go one of those instead of running. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's something I've, I think I mentioned this as well on the podcast, but uh, some time ago, probably almost a couple of years ago now, I really stopped using the term recovery run. I don't think there is such a thing as a recovery run. There are easy runs, but they're not recovery. They, they do still take a little bit out of you and the better, more experienced the runner you are, the less they take out of you. But I don't think that any run, even for the most experienced runners, necessarily speed up recovery. I, I just don't think that happens. So it's all, there are easy runs that are designed to not accumulate much more fatigue, but to still give you a bit more volume. And especially for runners that do need to put in a lot of miles to, to maximize their running performance level, it makes sense to do them. And for triathletes, it also makes sense to do them because uh, you're, depending on how much you're running, uh, all of your runs are not going to be hard, obviously, so you need to do some easy runs, but but yeah, they're not going to be recovery runs. So so I agree when you on that Monday, for example, if the Monday is the very easy aerobic day, yeah, it would be a, a swim or or a bike ride for me as well. Yeah, and look, I mean it's also important, I think, that we just understand the purpose of the recovery day, right? Like we're looking for that kind of muscular repair. We're, we're looking for, you know, restoration of some more regular kind of hormonal levels. You know, if you're a male, bringing the testosterone back up, you know, for everyone bringing the cortisol down. Um, and, and all those things, they, they take time. It's not as though you finish a hard session and within 30 minutes you're back to completely normal. You know, it, it is a kind of can be 24 hours, even more, 48 hours. So, you know, it's important to understand on those those rest days or those very very easy recovery days that you are facilitating work down the line. Um, you're not missing a day, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, and and I, I should say that from my side, I, I also, except for with beginners, I do tend to favor a full rest day every week. Uh, but with intermediate to advanced athletes, I I don't. It's more of a an aerobic active recovery day or just an aerobic easy aerobic day i would say rather than active recovery necessarily but something that doesn't accumulate more fatigue that by yeah. the end of the next 24 hour period you're uh, at a better stage and I, I like what you said there that if you do a, an aerobic swim like that you want to end the session feeling better than when you started it that yeah that's that's a really good good sort of guideline for how to how those sessions should be designed with to well that you want to design the session so that they achieve that that kind of objective and that kind of feeling yeah and look in practice that that is kind of pretty much how most of my athletes end up as well you know without necessarily a full recovery day but you know an easy or or very kind of aerobic day yeah yeah and i think when you when you reach a certain level like intermediate level then uh, I mean, frequency is important for everybody, but in triathlon with three different sports, uh, it is quite difficult to fit in the frequency of training that ideally you want. So, so that's why it just ends up being that way that you still get in one of your sessions uh, that easier day, but but you you do it in such a way that the next day you're you're really yeah. much much better recovered than you were before. So. Uh, Let's see here. Um, what about easy days? Uh, in so we we have talked a lot about this Monday example. If if the Monday is the easiest day, uh, but uh, but in terms of other easy days, how how might you? So you mentioned also working with a one three one two model. So meaning one easy day, three harder days, one easy day, two harder days, and that means that the second easy day day might fall on a Friday. What would that look like if it's if it's slightly less recovery aspect, uh, recovery than the than the Monday, but but it's still an easy day? What what can you do on the, that kind of easy day? Yeah, for mine, it definitely kind of depends on what you've done on the Tuesday to Thursday, um, and I know that's maybe not the best answer. Um, so at my end, it would certainly be a swim and and usually either a run or a ride that is is quite aerobic uh, in nature. But in saying that, it, it then also depends on what's coming Saturday, right? So, I mean, sometimes I will diverge from that and, and what, what I'll do is make it more like a one, two, and then have the easier day on a Thursday and, and kind of make the, the Friday through Sunday, uh, I guess, what you might term more moderate or, or even intense. And you know, for me especially, that, that kind of model actually works really well for a few key weekends leading up to an Ironman, say. So you can get a, a really key swim in on the Friday afternoon and then potentially have a bit of a quote-unquote Ironman kind of weekend. Um, <clears throat> in saying that, though, yeah, I mean, definitely a swim and, and usually some kind of aerobic run or, or ride, but but not necessarily an active recovery kind of ride, something, you know, more in that high zone one, zone two kind of area. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I think that in terms of the swim, personally, I uh, like you said there in the Ironman example, I wouldn't be afraid of doing or prescribing a a hard swim on on that day, at least for athletes that 
the swim, I mean, because this is individual, a lot of athletes will experience that the swim doesn't really take away from their ability to then do a good bike or run the following day. With some athletes, you need to be a bit more careful with that because they do feel uh, like a whole body fatigue from from the swim. And then it might not be the best idea to do a really mm. hard one. But 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 yeah, I, th- I think that the point here is that those easier days can come in multiple shapes and forms and in some situations for example the easy day can be a relatively speaking a lower volume day but still have some intensity like be just an intense swim and maybe a a, an easy short run for for an intermediate or advanced athlete that can still be an easy day because they're training an hour and a half instead of two and a half hours or or they maybe train one hour instead of two hours but but in other cases it might be that the volume is the same yeah. but it's just a two one hour, one and a half hour zone two ride which might be the same volume as they're used to doing but but just without any any intensity just keeping it low intensity there so so there are different ways of uh, of skinning that cat yeah and even you know i think when you kind of use as well the term an intense swim i think for the majority of triathletes all the way up to to a lot of pros that there's a certain volume of of um swimming in a single session that kind of no matter how easy you try and do it you know technique just just means that it does become at least a moderate you know moderate effort yeah session. yeah you know one thing that has been really interesting for me <laughs> in the last actually in the last year technically but mostly in the last few months i have been uh, since swimming exclusively with a squad i stopped using my watch but in but i am still measuring training load by using the polar oh1 heart rate monitor at temple so i get a heart rate reading from from every single one of my swim sessions and there i can actually see well how hard was this session uh, in an objective way as way as a subjective way which i've always of course been able to quantify it but also an interesting thing is so we're recording this on a monday and i actually just got back from my squad swim after having a really long hard bike ride yesterday and i wanted to make sure that i kept this swim pretty easy and then uh, well of course i then try to swim the do the swim execute the swim as easy as I can uh, in that squad environment. But then after the fact, to be able to look at, well, what was the average heart rate? Did I actually manage that? And to see that, well, yeah, it was an average heart rate of 104. That actually quantifies to me that, yeah, this was a good 10, 15 beats per minute lower than most of my swims, even the endurance-focused squad swims tend to be. So so it actually was pretty much a recovery swim for me. So, so that I, I'm more and more becoming a fan of, of using heart rate monitoring in swimming just to after the fact quantify what what you actually did yeah i mean and i mean it sounds like a very good way as well to to calibrate your perceived effort yeah yeah and and in that squad environment it's uh it's really good because you just click it on before you start the swim and then click it off after you you don't have to and then you just follow the flow you don't have to uh, yes. do anything like click anything through through the through the session so yeah. so it's not, so not far, usually very squad. liked in swim squads no <laughs> no uh all right so uh, when we have hard days or which can be intense days or they can be days of higher volume uh how 
how do we modify the training program to account for those days, especially thinking about those days that are particularly hard, not just your average hard day, but but maybe something a bit more out of the ordinary? Yeah, I think firstly we go back to the, to the session itself. Um, so, you know, within these sessions, super important in my opinion, and and I think yours as well, to, to fuel very well because it's not just about the the performance of that session, but also the subsequent recovery. Um, you know, I think that a huge reason that the days after some of those sessions become almost a write off for some athletes is is just basically super underfueled and um, potentially they get through the session, but it really hurts recovery. So, you know, for mine, facilitating that recovery you know, during the session is, is the number one thing. Um, similarly, you know, after the session, hydration becomes important as well. Um, then, you know, after the session and, and in the subsequent days, you know, for mine, we have to understand if it is a big, hard, intense session, we've we've really kind of ramped up that you know, that that sympathetic nervous system. You know, the fight or flight response, cortisol's up high, so we want to do things that you know facilitate um, that parasympathetic nervous system and you know just some nice, easy to to kind of moderate aerobic work and and you know really just kind of getting that rest and digest happening a little bit more. Yeah, uh, the first point there with uh, uh, with the fueling, I think that's super important, and and I do think that it's a very common mistake. And I was uh, typing here as you were speaking because I wanted to make a note that uh, that listeners that, that I'll add uh, a link in the episode description to the episode I did with Bob Murray, which was on glycogen storage and depletion and all of the things related to that and the science behind it and and it just takes a long time to fully replenish your glycogen stores if you let them run too low so the key is that you shouldn't let them run that low so if you want to be able to train anywhere near capacity the next couple of days so so yeah that's that's the reason that it's key even though you you think and you can do the session without like really good fueling but you're taking out of your training the next couple of days so so go listen to that episode if if you want to learn more about that and i also think you know sometimes those days where you do get into a heavy, heavily kind of glycogen depleted state uh, i mean there is occasionally it is going to happen right so being aware of that and planning that into your mesocycle and knowing when those days are coming so you, you can have the, the days after to facilitate recovery is really important. Yeah, and and I think as well that uh, you, you might, I mean, you, you can plan even things like um, do if you have, let's say, your, your Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are kind of your harder days, then, then I think it makes sense to, do the, the most intense work the earliest in that block. So so if you're going to do some high intensity intervals, do that on Tuesday. Then maybe on Wednesday you can do something that is sort of like a zone three, zone four level. So something that is sub threshold but still pretty hard. And then then on the first day you might be able to to do some some zone three work still. But but if that sort of descending intensity can work because you will need less carbohydrate for for the lower intensities than than for the higher ones so so i think that's another thing to that you can take into account when you're uh, when, when you're having these hard sessions and and i guess the 
the opposite of that would be if you have like a really hard weekend of training, maybe a key key weekend for preparing for your Ironman, then you have your Monday easy day, then maybe the Tuesday you are still not going to be fully recovered. So so if you want to do something hard on that day, maybe make that your zone three session, which is not going to be that hard and then build up intensity instead while you're still kind of recovering from that hard weekend of training you just had. Yeah, and that's where that zone three session potentially, you know, maybe that is a session where usually you might not have any carbohydrate during the session but but in that instance it's it's definitely maybe worthwhile you know taking on a bit more than you usually would during the session yeah and uh one other thing uh, that uh, i'm interested in hearing what uh, how you account for is strength training and uh by this i mean in particular weightlifting if you're actually going to the gym or well or at home but lifting a bit heavier not just body weight strength training how, how do you think that that impacts recovery and how how do you account for that in the planning i mean i think there's you know there's inevitably depending on well especially when you go heavy there's there is going to be some kind of muscle damage happening um and you know i think it's important to respect that and treat your your lifting like a session um, i see a lot of athletes who it's like this is my triathlon training and I'm just going to add weights on top um, without, you know, doing anything to account for that in terms of recovery. Whereas it's very important, in my opinion, when you are going to those sessions and doing those sessions that you are treating them as part of your entire training plan and and ensuring that you actually get the recovery from them that's needed. Um, Also, another important note when it comes to, to, to lifting and especially those who potentially are a bit newer to it. Um, you may experience some DOMS, tightness, all that kind of stuff, and that's totally normal. And <clears throat> where I think it's important to take note of that is if it does start affecting your biomechanics in it in any way, especially with running. So you know, if you're out for a run and you're extremely tight and you can feel that you're just running completely differently, the biomechanics are off, then it's potentially a day where you just say, well, you know what, I'm not going to run today. It's just not worth it. And that's absolutely fine. So just be conscious of that and don't try and add the weights onto a program that's already pushing you for time and recovery. Yeah. And, and I think in with, with weightlifting, there is some interesting research coming out as well about the what we might call the minimal effective dose. And, and this is not even in in triathletes but actually in people with different sort of strength goals or or Mm. hypertrophy goals but the minimal effective dose might be smaller than we think so so i think that if you experience doms i i try to say i I tend to say that with my athletes that the first two weeks after after a break after your season break for example and you start to to lift again in the early winter training phase it's okay to have DOMS uh, those first couple of weeks. But after that, we also have the swim, bike, run training that's ramping up and we want to have adapted somewhat to the strength training. So so if you're still having DOMS after that, we just we just lower the load of the, of the weight lifting. And, and usually that doesn't necessarily mean the actual weights lifted, but the total sets and reps. So the tonnage goes down, of course. Yeah. But... Uh, but but there is, I mean, th- th- there is interesting evidence even that one set of a particular exercise can 
give a lot of the benefits that you would have from from five sets of the same exercise. So so I think that yes, yeah, I tend to gravitate these days to, I mean, three sets is still, I think, for some ideal, but two sets is definitely adequate for most. Uh, and and even in some cases, I would start with just one set and uh, to, to try to avoid DOMs and and build into it very, very gradually that way. So so don't be afraid of having your weight sessions be, quote-unquote, small sessions with low tonnage. Yeah, and look, I it is a Monday that we're recording, so the latest podcast just came out today, and I think I've listened to about half of it, and it was around strength training. Um, but, you know, a, a really kind of important point that was mentioned there was you know, we're not going into the gym necessarily looking to get super high heart rate, you know, be dripping sweat, really hurting. That doesn't have to be the purpose. Um, we're not necessarily looking to to substantially increase the recovery needed um, and, you know, right off two or three days afterwards. And also yeah. just going back to your point there on, on minimum effective dose, you know, I know we were talking about it in the, in the realm of strength training, but... Um, I think that it's also really important to talk about it in the terms of swim, bike and run as well in the sense that often, you know, when we maybe uh, think the minimum effective dose is a lot higher than, than it actually is, all we're really doing is is chewing into the recovery time as well. Yeah. How, how would you determine the minimal effective dose for, for an athlete? I mean, it, that, that is the ultimate question, isn't it? Um, and if I, if I did, <laughs> you know, if I, if I did know the answer, I, I suspect that, um, a lot of athletes would potentially be doing a little bit less than what they're doing. If I'm perfectly honest. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. But, but I guess, um, look, yeah, look that, as, as, from a coaching, of- sorry, I was just, you know, from, from a coaching standpoint, um, when I start with an athlete, I would rather that we are maybe hitting slightly under the minimal effective dose and work from there than, than way overshoot and have to pull back. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that I, I totally agree with. And, and I think it's because when you, if you do too much and, uh, and, and you're not improving, then you're kind of in a really dangerous spot there. Because you might you might not know that the reason that the athlete is not improving is that they're actually doing too much uh, for their abilities, so you're in a really risky situation where you might think that oh they need to do more or they need to do maybe some more intensity, and and then you're only making the situation worse. So so totally uh, I agree at this, at the start of your career as an athlete or you as a coach working with an athlete, it's much much better to here on the side of too little rather than too much because then you can be fairly confident if you're really careful like really conservative in that sense that okay let's see how how things go and if they're improving and if not then we can always increase and we know that well probably the issue is not that they're doing too much whereas so you don't have that risky situation of adding even more when it's already counterproductive how much you're doing yeah, and look, when when I guess just to clarify also for listeners, when when we're talking about too little or too much, you know, that that is uh, overall loaded. That we're not necessarily talking about just duration or volume. Um, you know, it's kind of a mix yeah. of intensity and, and volume. Yeah. 
I, I think I think that uh, personally, I'm probably moving slightly more and more towards that the minimal effective dose for intensity is probably lower than I have thought in the past. And volume, I'm not sure I've changed opinions on too much, but uh, but I just think that an athlete that right now or two years ago was doing 10 hours with a certain amount of intensity in there right now might still be doing 10 hours because I still might think that that's the right volume for them, but the, the amount of intensity might be less there and they might improve just as much or even more. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I tend to think along the same lines. Now, uh, let's discuss a little bit around tracking recovery. Is that something you do in any way? And uh, what what things are you looking for if you do? Um, look, I think subjectively is an important way as a coach. Um, you know, we're using, I guess, feedback daily when it comes to things like, I mean, I, I love all my athletes, say, even just commenting on training peaks, filling out the, the perceived effort, you know, doing the smiley faces. Uh, tracking those things for mine is is very important over time and potentially they you know trend exactly as you want and in those instances fantastic Um, I also put a lot of faith in my athletes as well that you know if there is something wrong uh, whether it be some kind of niggle or or being slightly sick that you know I, I, I have faith that they will actually tell me so that you know building that communication is is very important so yeah, tra- tracking those metrics and, and also just having that open line of communication, I think, is very important. Um, <clears throat> look, longer term with that with that kind of stuff that is a bit more subjective, you know, things like sex drive, moodiness, frustration. If if we're seeing those things kind of, you know, move in the wrong directions, it's it's usually a good sign that we are, well, not necessarily, you know, doing too much load, but. But the entire load, whether it be from work, family, training, just isn't right. It's too much. So at, at my end as a coach, usually what I can control is is the training load. And, and in those instances, you know, it's a good, good sign that we need to back off. Um, <clears throat> from the objective standpoint, HRV and, and, and you know, heart rate are, are usually very good ones to track for mine. Um, you know, I think with HRV, you know, it's almost like higher is better, but it's not necessarily the case. Um, you know, if I've got an athlete in a heavy block, say, of volume, um, and we're just seeing that the HRV kind of continually go up, but we're seeing kind of suppressed heart rate in sessions, then usually that's also a good sign that potentially they're, they're kind of doing a little bit too much. So it can be time to back off as well. Um, but you know, looking at those things more on a daily basis. When you say, if, when you say their heart rate being suppressed, uh, do you do you refer there to when they're doing some higher intensity work, or do you refer also to just low low intensity sessions? Because I think, in, from my uh, perspective, those two might be a dif- bit different. Uh, but I want yeah, to definitely on the high rate. intensity on the high intensity side of things. Yeah, I often see athletes just unable to get their heart rate up. If you yeah. if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, no, that's um, exactly how I'm know, thinking as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for instance, you might have someone who can regularly hit 185 beats per minute, but all of a sudden, you know, they they can't even hit 160. It's a pretty pretty good sign that yeah, it, the body just doesn't want to work. Yeah. And how do you use heart rate variability 
is it just a tracking like something that you do in the background you know or do you encourage athletes to even like take action on it if they have a day of real low hrv do you do you tell them to to text you and ask for advice or or even just self decide themselves decide how to like to maybe take it take the day easier how, how do you actually use use hrv look with my group of athletes in all honesty um if there was a day of say very low hrv coupled with them feeling lethargic or, or tired or at all sick or niggles or anything then i give all my athletes and even without hrv to be honest i give them full autonomy to, to go easier um you know never never i think as a coach um, am i in a position where i've felt as though an athlete has kind of just taken an easy option and and they should have you know gone hard and that maybe is I um, just have a very motivated group of athletes, but uh, I mean that's just even you know on just a triathlete uh, cohort as a whole something that I I tend to kind of believe in a little bit. Um, with the HRV on a daily basis, yeah, it, it can be hard uh, as a coach to you know be kind of on call instantly when they have to make that decision in the morning. So you know potentially. I do give athletes a bit of autonomy in, in making those decisions. But if we're seeing a trend over a few days where, you know, it is it is quite low and it's it hasn't bounced back, then at my end it's definitely potentially a sign that we, we might just back off if we have some intensity planned. <laughs> yeah. I, I tried that for a while with some athletes to to actually do HRV guided training. So so if it's low, like in the yellow or red actually do go easy that day or take a day off if you feel really bad uh, but uh, that was a while ago and and i found that that was probably I, I didn't find that to be the best method what i find to be the best method now is kind of what you said with just a subjective feeling of the athlete that they have the autonomy if they feel crappy then either take take a rest day or skip the intensity do just an easy aerobic session and HRV may validate that decision or it may may add to our information available of why they, they might be feeling bad on that day, but but it's not it's not really a driving factor of the decision, but it is something to track and and then especially the trend of it, whether it's as you say, trending down or several days or uh, but tre- but looking at it for to see if it's trending up is also a really good a good way to see if you're maybe adapting to to training although i i tend to see that it's usually quite quite stable and and i don't really yeah yeah need it to go up if it's stable i'm i'm, I'm more than happy yeah I, I i agree totally on that front and look you know with that autonomy side of things it, it comes back to what you just said before with you know potentially that minimum effective doses of intensity is actually not necessarily as high as people think anyway so you know doing an aerobic day certainly isn't the end of the world in terms of the the meso and the macro cycle yeah no definitely so so let's uh discuss that a little bit more around the decision making and especially if you're a self-coach athlete perhaps that can't uh, consult with your coach about whether you what you should do but but how should an athlete take a decision on when is the right time to take it easy or even take a day off 
and how, and how to do that should you still try to maybe do a warm-up kind of a 20-minute rule kind of thing or uh, what, what would you advise athletes to do here well i'll start at the the kind of red flags which are you know any symptoms especially below the shoulders you know like flu symptoms chesty phlegmy cough achy body anything like that for mine it's just day off straight up um you know if we're talking something that's maybe above the shoulders like a head cold potentially you know you can entertain the idea of some very light aerobic work but again we're not looking to push it on on that kind of day um you know then then we move to the okay i didn't get a great night of sleep last night um maybe the the kids were awake or work stress was high, study stress was high, whatever it is, I slept on and off for four hours. Okay, good sign again. Let's maybe back off today if intensity was planned. Let's just do some aerobic training, kind of in that either anywhere from recovery to what we might term steady. Um, And then we can, you know, when I say we, as a self-coached athlete, you, you can reassess the rest of the week and how, you might kind of rejig it to, to get some intensity and should you be able to get back to a normal, say, sleep routine. Um, in terms of, I guess, fatigue just from training and, and that kind of general, what we might term general fatigue, look, there, there is going to be fatigue within, you know, the microcycle, the mesocycle. It's, it is inevitable. Um, but, again, that's where it comes down to, I think as an athlete, you want to make sure you're not getting to the end of your kind of block of my, maybe hard days. Maybe it is that you're doing that one, three, one. If you're getting to the, the end of that third day and just praying that the Friday is going to rejuvenate you um, so that you're ready to go Saturday, Sunday, potentially you've pushed that three days a little bit hard. You know, you, I think you really want to avoid getting to a point where you kind of are relying on a rest week or something to pull you back from a giant hole that you may have dug. Um, So, look, if you are in that situation, though, that's where I think it's really important to not be afraid to take a full rest day and then not be afraid to take even, you know, a few days, a week of just easy aerobic work. You're not going to lose fitness doing that. Yeah. I, I think that what you said there about the the fatigue from well f- fatigue is not related to potential sickness so so if you have it could be training induced fatigue but also the training combined with work and life but not with not related to any sickness or or anything like that uh I think I do like the twenty minute rule for those days if you start the day or start the workout feeling that oh I don't feel that great today, but I have a a harder session planned then in many cases i would say that the 20 minute rule might be a good idea and that uh, means for those who may not be familiar to do 20 minutes of the workout the way that you planned it initially and this assumes that you complete your warm-up within 20 minutes and then also try a little bit of your main intense set so let's say you have um, a threshold run or something and you might have uh, six times five minutes then maybe do decide to do the first interval or the first three minutes of the first interval and uh, and see how you feel and actually i find that usually the first interval is all, is the hardest so i might split that first interval into two so do 
two minutes and then take a little bit of a break and then do three minutes so you complete it in two different bouts. And if that second one starts to feel that you're actually feeling quite good and quite okay and looking forward to the rest of the set, then you can go ahead and do it. But if the second one feels, if the first one felt bad, which is quite likely that it does feel, but the second one also mm. feels just as bad, then in that situation is probably a, a good point to decide to to only do aerobic work for, for the day. I think it's in those situations especially, but in, in general as well, um, really important that when you are planning sessions that you have a range as well. So if it's on the bike, it might be a, a power range or running a, a pace range and swimming a pace range. And in those situations, potentially you do start out at the lower end of that range and see how that feels first um, and kind of work your way into the session. Um, you know, I think especially with the advent on, on the bikes of erg mode, people get stuck on a single number um, when, you know, from a physiological standpoint, if they dropped it 20 watts, the, the difference would be minimal depending yeah. on what their total output is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that even, even beyond that, you could potentially just do like a semi, like a very, make a harder session moderate. So, so in that example, that I that I had with six times five minutes of running at threshold, you should have a range for that, uh, a, not just a number, but also if you're feeling, you might be in a situation where you're feeling that, okay, this is quite hard. I'm not feeling totally crap, but this feels maybe a bit too much for me in the day. Why don't I just do six times five minutes at tempo instead? So take it down to below your initially planned range, but you're still getting some a little bit of quality work there to more so for it's not uh, like you know a big overload session or anything but you get some some nice little quality in there that's probably not going to fatigue you too much more and it might simply prime you for the for the next session instead and and you get a chance to feel good about yourself as well because you you did a you did a decent session out of a situation where you didn't feel too too good to begin with so so even that is i think an option to to have at the back of your head for days when you might need it yeah, yeah, totally agree. Uh, and I was just going to go back to the previous question with how to track recovery because I forgot to mention, but actually one thing that I do find can be quite useful there is uh, very short bouts of all-out, whatever it is, cycling, mm. running, yeah. or swimming. I think especially on the bike and the swim, uh, when these are applicable on the run, I, I've honestly never prescribed anything like this. But but on the bike, for example, prescribing a 20-second all-out sprint or even a 30-second all-out sprint and just seeing if the athlete is, you know, 100, 150 watts below their normal, then that's a sign that they're quite fatigued. Uh, and it might not be in some blocks of training, it might be totally expected and that's fine. It doesn't mean that you have to change your training necessarily, but it definitely gives you uh, a picture of where you are how fatigued you are and, uh, and and how recovered you are and same on the swim if you do a 50 second sprint and you're three seconds slower than normal or two seconds slower than normal then similarly that's also you you have the combination there i think of of two factors or several factors but the neuromuscular recovery and and also uh, glycogen depletion both strongly yeah. uh, strongly fall into how well you can do on a short 30 second or so uh effort like like those those examples so that yeah be and I, th to use. I think even with swimming as well 
uh, on that last question um, where we were kind of talking about training, you know, when you are a little bit fatigued and, and say using those, um, you know, first couple of reps to see how you're feeling, potentially in swimming there the option also exists to then say, well, okay, you know, today I am a bit fatigued and, and that is affecting my the technical aspect of my swimming. So that might be a case where using equipment can actually be super beneficial as well to facilitate better technique. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now let's move on to uh, discussing some moderating factors of uh, planning your training load uh, with, uh, with, with regard to recovery. So I'm talking about things like how age, experience, uh, ability, gender, um, athletic or physiological profile and so on might impact your training. So can you speak to those a little bit? Which ones do you consider might be important here to think about? I think age is definitely very important, especially at both ends of the spectrum. So, um, <clears throat> you know, with, with the young athletes, I think it's very important to respect um, total total volume, um, especially with running um, and especially as they're growing and all of those kind of things. But, but also important to respect that, um, you know, I think in terms of, recovery with with young athletes you know if they're at school and things they're going to be around playing all day and playing sport whatever it is and and those things should be given a priority and they are an important part of life so if that means you know backing off the training so that they do actually get some recovery in their day then i'm all for it um you know at the other end of the spectrum with older athletes i think you really need to respect the intensity side of things so just knowing that if i start with an older athlete specific you know more specifically we might start at you know, quite a low dose of intensity and and very slowly see if if how adding say a bit more or, or another session affects you know their recovery but but what i tend to see um, is that you know you need more days between those sessions for the for the older athletes as well yeah, would you still make those sessions when you do those sessions? Is it the frequency mainly that you would change, but the sessions themselves would look fairly similar to what the same athlete might do, might have done twenty years earlier, or, or would these sessions also be a little bit lighter on intensity? Yeah, look, it depends again on on the sport. So I think with running, probably not. Um, with cycling, I think that a lot of older athletes can do fairly similar sessions but again potentially slightly altered and then it comes back to your you know the other factor you mentioned there is um experience so you know i mean i've if i've got an athlete in their 60s but they've been training for the last 40 years and and have never really stopped they can still hit 185 beats per minute then Potentially, it is very similar to what they were doing 20 years ago. But if it's an older athlete who is 60 and the last time they played sport they were 25, then yes, I think that that session will be definitely, you know, itself slightly different and, and slightly less. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that um, I think you're right with uh, age on average having having that impact, but but I do think that it's mostly due to the typical training history and yeah 
and the individual aspects of the athlete rather than age itself. Because if you have somebody, for example, that maybe they in their twenties they were a sedentary, they were at university, they were working and maybe getting a family, and then in their mid thirties they start to do triathlon and they have haven't done any sport for fifteen years. Then by the time that they're forty. I think that they can do a heck of a lot more than they could yeah. when they were 35. So, so it doesn't always go just one way. It, it really depends on the context of the situation is, is so important there. And, uh, so, so that's, yeah. So, so I think that, that, that it's, it's really about knowing yourself if you're a self coach athlete or knowing your athlete if you're a coach and, uh, and finding what works in, in that way. And I think also just the context of life, you know. I mean, up here where, where I live, I, I know a few a few um, older athletes who are retired and, and honestly that that's pretty much all they do with their day is they have the time to train. They don't have many other life stresses. Um, so they, they can tolerate a fair bit of volume and they just love it. So you know, they live in a beautiful part, beautiful part of the world. Why would they not get out on their bike? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. What about gender? It's uh, it's an interesting topic to discuss whether there are gender differences in training. And I mean, all the same caveats apply that it's about the individual, but do you see any generalities there in terms of differences between genders? Um, look, I think it's important. I guess it comes down to age as well with gender. So, you know, it depends. For, say, an older female who's gone through menopause, it might be different to, to a younger female. Um, I, I, I'll have to admit, I'll be the first to admit that I guess as a, as a younger coach and, and working with some females, that's still, a, it's still a heavy learning curve for me in terms of, you know, looking through the cycle and, and how athletes perform and how we can kind of, you know, assign training through that to, to best fit with, you know, um, how, how they are going to respond to it. So, um, you know, I think it, at my end, yes, there are differences, but also still, there is a lot for me to learn. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I think that, uh, it, gender to me it falls into one other thing that we had here on the list, the physiological profile as well, that female yeah. athletes tend to have less, uh, fast twitch fibers quite often than, than male athletes, which, can be a benefit for them in that they recover a bit faster. They are, they're not able to produce the same really high power or pace outputs in the different sports and uh, in intense sessions, in very anaerobic sessions, if you are to do things like that, they, they're they not going to maybe have the same capacity to perform, but at the same time, they're not going to really be able to bury themselves, which is uh, positive. They can come back and train the next day, which uh, which a male athlete who is more uh, type two dominant might not be able to do to come back and train the next day really well. So, so I think that actually females have a bit of an advantage there in endurance sports on average. Again, <laughs> and and we yeah, see that. I was going to say. I- we, we my see partner that. definitely has more fast fish fibers than me. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we see that in things like ultra running, where differences in gender really start to, or they, they are quite often very small, like the 200-mile running scene where we have, what's her name, who, is, who has been really dominant in oh, the 200 Oh, Courtney Dewalter, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
yeah, it's it's really amazing what uh, what can be done on those like really really long duration events. So, so I think I think that that's uh, that's something to just have in mind. But but again, I've I think that we should stress here. At least I want to stress that anything that we're talking about here, age, gender, whatever it is, it all comes down to the context and and the individual. So yes, you can't exactly. really you can't really have a formula for this is how you coach a sixty year old athlete or this is how you coach coach a female. You have to coach the individual. Yeah, agreed. And but you know, and that's where I, I think that open communication as a coach is very important and and um, you know working with females especially you know understanding how they feel through different parts of their cycle so that you can develop that relationship and and down the line when you are planning you you kind of have at least an understanding of of what to expect at say certain times if you're a male coach you should be having those conversations with females it's um super important and if if you're not then um just learn how to (laughs) yeah uh, so, so the final question here is: Are there any pitfalls or mistakes to, that we can uh, that, that we we can advise people to avoid when it comes to both their planning and their execution of their training? So, so so that you don't do anything stupid, dig yourself into into any hole or or things like that. And any common mistakes that you that that you think that you want to point out here? Yeah, I think we. When I say we, and because I definitely have fallen into this trap before as an athlete, is you know chasing this need to feel tired, this need to feel like I worked really hard, you know, today, this week, whatever it is. Um, but that doesn't necessarily correlate to improvement and performance. Um, you know, you can just keep chasing fatigue and chasing feeling tired all the time, but at some point you actually need to understand that you need to recover in order to reap the benefits of the training you're doing. And if you're neglecting that, then all that training is not going to lead to the increase in performance that you want. And and I've mentioned it on the podcast before, you know, a, a one week or two week taper doesn't lead to some superhuman magical super compensation where, you know, within a week you're going to be, you know, an hour faster than you were the week before over an Ironman. So I think it's very, very important that you you take those easy days, you take those recovery days um, and understand that during those days you are facilitating the ability to do the kind of intensity and the volume that's required for improvement. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think that's great. I I don't know if I have anything to add to that really. I think we have covered... A lot of things here. Do you have anything else that you want to mention? Yeah, the only other thing I would add is, um, you know, niggles, pains. I guess there there are things that are normal, but but really, it's important to learn to understand that you shouldn't be pushing through kind of acute sharp pain. It's um, missing a session is far better than having a stress fracture or tearing a tendon or whatever it might be and missing six months. Yeah. I guess I I did uh, think of one thing now, and we we mentioned this before uh, in previous episodes. But basically, plan plan for optimizing a much bigger scope of training than just one week or two weeks or three weeks. 
think about yeah. how you can get the most out of your training in a time period of six months or, or one year. And, uh, and that can give you a realistic picture of how, how you should plan your training. How much volume can you do? How much intensity can you do realistically, sustainably? And, uh, and then that falls right into what you said first with, you can't feel all the time if you want to do that for six months or, or one year, that, that's just not going to, not going to work. It's not going to be possible. It's possible to do that for a few weeks, but even though it's not necessarily, uh, the best, even though sometimes like that kind of overload period can be good for a few weeks, but then you need to, to have the right timing with backing off from that and, and getting that super compensation. But yeah, plan for long term yeah. uh, for, for a longer perspective than just the perspective of a few weeks. Yeah, agreed. Now, uh, let's finish off because it's been a while. So, so I want to hear maybe your, uh, I don't know if you remember your previous rapid fire question answers, uh, if they might have changed, but uh, let's do them. And the first one is what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to endurance sports? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'll probably go a little bit against the grain here and saying social media. I guess it has its many known pitfalls, but there is a number of great people you can follow on there, um, you know, especially on something like Twitter. I guess I've never seen the dark side of it because I only follow people who really interest me. And, and I think that if you do that, you can actually find some really neat little studies or people that will, are reading kind of the literature all day and will post you know, interesting things. And um, it, it can be a very, very useful and, and insightful resource when you correctly yeah yeah twitter is great in particular uh what's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success um honestly just learning to accept that you are going to be wrong sometimes and also that you definitely don't know everything and you know i think as long as you're open to learning all the time then then you know that's the, the kind of the best position to be in and finally who's somebody that you look up to or that has inspired you yeah, I think last time I said some some pro athletes who, who are my friends and stuff as well and some coaches, but honestly, I think all my athletes, to be honest, I, through this COVID period especially, um, their kind of passion and drive for, for chasing the sport and just doing it because they love it has kind of fueled that for me as well. So it's it's been really, really great to watch that they don't necessarily need the racing or even just sporadic racing um, is kind of enough. They just love the process of training and, and improving. Yeah, that's really awesome to hear. And I think that that's, uh, I mean, the the kind of athletes that that we work with at Scientific Triathlon in general do seem to exhibit that trait, which which I think we uh, are all very, uh, we're all admiring very, very much. So, but I'm really happy yeah, to hear definitely. that applies to your, to your athletes as well. All right. And, uh, well, finally, uh, just remind listeners of where they can find you on social media and, uh, and what potential races you might have going on if people are turning up at your races to say hi. Yeah, I'll be, yeah, well, I'll just be in Australia really, I guess for most of this year, but if you're at, uh, Geelong or, uh, Ironman Port Macquarie, I'll definitely be at those two. Um, yeah, on Instagram and, Oh, I am on Twitter very sporadically, mostly just reading other people's stuff, but I'm sure I'll have a look at yours if you give me a follow. <laughs> All right. Great. Well, it was uh, great to uh, to talk about this, uh, Lucky. Uh, have a really nice rest of your day and uh, all good luck with uh, those races coming up as well. 
Thank you very much. You too. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Coach Lucky. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com and we'll have links directly to Lucky's Instagram profile and his coaching profile, which you can find on the coaching page directly on the website. Also to his previous appearances on the podcast and a couple of related episodes that I want to mention here that blend nicely into this topic are one I already mentioned in the interview, glycogen metabolism and optimizing glycogen resynthesis with Bob Murray. That was episode 252, a really good episode in my opinion. And then we have way, way back in episode 52, sleep recovery and performance with uh, Shauna Halson. So those two are highly related episodes that I recommend you listen to if you haven't already. On Thursday, we will have another Q&A coming out. So click that subscribe button so you get all the episodes as they are released. And next Monday, I'm interviewing Michael Crawley, who is the author of the book Out of Thin Air. In short, Michael is a very fast runner. I think his half marathon PB is 106 or 107 and his marathon PB 220. He spent 15 months in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia, training with a group of runners there and suddenly being a very, very slow runner in comparison to to those uh, guys. And he wrote the book Out of Thin Air about this experience in Ethiopia. So what we will discuss is his view on the Ethiopian training methods and other aspects that make them so successful in long distance running. And importantly, what we as athletes can learn from their ways and apply in our own training even if we're not professional runners even if we're just amateur triathletes so i'm very excited for that i have read michael's book and can highly recommend it uh, it will be very exciting to talk to him now if you are looking to improve your triathlon or endurance performance beyond just implementing the learnings directly that you hear on the podcast then the next step up is to get a training plan or even better get a coach you can check out all the options that we have on scientifictriathlon.com. Feel free to email me if you have any further questions, but we are very confident that we can help you take that next step and improve your performance level, no matter whether you're a beginner or a very, very advanced or professional athlete. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Roka, that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses and get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can get on roca.com forward slash TTS. And thank you to Zen8. Use the Zen8 Swim Trainer to improve your technique, power, and stamina even when you don't have time to go to the pool or when the pools are closed. And do that while practicing good core activation and a high elbow catch position. You can get 20% off your order on Swim Trainer with the promo code that you can get on zen8swimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.